dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. And thanks for joining us here for another edition of Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. So glad to have you join us. My next guest is a former Torrance, California police officer, L.A. County, and was a, which I could go for a long story about his career as a police officer because he served during the L.A. riots in 1992, I believe it was, in South Central Los Angeles, which we know, we saw the videos, Reginald Denny, the whole story. We could talk about that. But he was also a former special education teacher, and now he's turned as a cannabis businessman entrepreneur who co-founded Beachfront Properties initially, LLC, which has more than $2 billion of assets under management in the U.S., Asia, and Europe, and is now a leading cannabis entrepreneur. The company founded was California Cannabis Enterprises, as you're going to learn on the program. It has now been brought together with other companies that he owns to create Glasshouse Group, and which he serves as CEO. Kyle Kazan is my host here on Blunt Business. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Thank you, George. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, my pleasure. Kyle, now you worked private equity real estate and launched 23 funds. Wow. I don't know how much you put together, but that's a lot of money right there. You also know your way around property management and real estate analysis. Take me, Kyle, into how you transition your real estate and funds expertise into cannabis. So, so good question. Um, what I would tell you is that I started investing back in those school teaching days when, you know, not exactly getting rich teaching special ed in, in uh, South Central Los Angeles. And I found that I had a, a bit of a knack at finding undervalued assets and repositioning them. And so when I started with funds, basically I just started bringing in investors and, and forming partnerships. And what I looked for was, you know, market timing where there were more sellers than buyers, or maybe another way to say it is a capital dislocation. So that capital was desperately needed. Um, the biggest buying times were the scariest times. And when I was able to buy, I'd, I would purchase the asset, I would reposition it, make it a nice, nice performing and, and, and quality asset for the community. And, and then as the market timing cycled and all of a sudden there were a lot more um, buyers than sellers, the value would, would simply go up and typically with a little bit of inflation, cash flow goes up. And so um, I just, I'm just looking at kind of the overall macro market and looking for those capital dislocations. The management side was, was purely operational to manage all of these assets. And because we have a good reputation, particularly here in Southern California, we manage a lot of other people's assets too, uh, the same way we manage our own. And so I, I had the advantage for many, many years here of uh, wearing two hats. One was as an investor who looked at the different um, assets to invest and, and the market timing. Um, and then on the other side was, was running a blocking and tackling management company, which is, is kind of a lot of people, low margin. And so it, you know, to completely different companies and two different skill sets. Um, but I was, I was lucky enough to get quite a bit of experience. So as we, as we move towards cannabis, I really stumbled into the investment because I was an advocate 
to end the war on drugs, going back to about right. 2007, 2008. And this was not nothing to do with my investment life. This was sort of a penance for my participation in the drug war and a way to try and educate as many people as I could and also be the other side of the spectrum during the discussions about legalization of marijuana. They always trotted out law enforcement to say how dangerous it is and scare. And so with my law enforcement experience, I could, I could blunt some of those criticisms and some of those uh, comments. And so I did that for, an, for a number of years. And because of that, I became very Googleable, and people started calling me asking, hey, we don't have any access to capital. Would you invest? And I'll tell you, quite frankly, for many years, my answer wasn't no, it was hell no, because <laughs> jail was real. I mean, LAPD had yeah. battle rams, and, and to boot, uh, they didn't look very favorable at me. They looked at me as a Benedict Arnold for going out and basically speaking against where many of them felt was against law enforcement when I was actually speaking against policy. And so when all of a sudden I, I, you know, and again, I I said no, but as legalization hit Colorado and Washington took effect uh, January 1st of 2014, I started, I started getting on planes and going to Denver because I realized back to capital dislocation, there was no, even in the worst of times in real estate, you can go get a loan. So, so yeah. the very worst time where you and I would have made a fortune buying real estate, you only need 25, 30% down. Here, you need 100%. And you're still risking federal prison. So I looked at this situation and I saw the trend lines and I said, this is going to be the biggest capital dislocation of, quite frankly, I think all of our lives. And, and also it gives us the opportunity to be impact investors, meaning that we can make a positive impact with our with our investment on the community. And so that married kind of what I that's married what I've been doing in real estate to this and so 2016 I jumped in. So a couple of things I want to unpack out of all that. Number 1, well when you're being googled, I mean a name like Kyle Kazan, the, the, the alliteration right there definitely is a helpful part. The other thing I would think uh-huh. about is your background as a police officer. Uh and your background in, in education in the L.A. County system. Because let's just say, you know, when you look in the last, what, 30 years, you can look at movies and television and how they have showcased Los Angeles in terms of, when I think of movies for schools, I think of Stand and Deliver, I think of Dangerous Minds, mm-hmm. I think of The Principal. <laughs> and when I think of, yep. when you think about uh, for television, or some of your, for, for uh, movies, End of Watch, I think of Den of Thieves, um, I can think of the shield when it comes to television. You know, just think of the Yote trial. All this here, where you see this, and you see a lot where the drug crimes were the point of focus. But again, who is out there that comes from that sector, from both of those sectors, that could speak best about it? And then with your leverage of being so entrenched into investment and venture capital, you really are offering real life experience real life understanding and you have the leverage right now to get that point across which is very important and i know that you were part of several organizations you've especially been on the advocacy front which we could talk about a lot and probably go for several hours here on this show but um unfortunately we got a short amount of time to talk about it now i want to talk about glass house group in general the company's scalable portfolio it includes cultivation genetics manufacturing 
retail sourcing, data distribution, delivery, technology, in-house brands, I'm not done yet, celebrity-endorsed brands, and marketing with a focus on using a supply chain to be a quote-unquote brand enabler. Love that. So your company's entrenched in cultivation, manu- manufacturing, and retail with Glasshouse Farms and Glasshouse Brands. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what made you take on this amount of involvement with all this is going on in the portfolio and the brands that you have right now to put these ventures together and create Glasshouse. Talk to, we're going to talk about the unification, but talk to me about first your involvement and in trying to manage all this being put together. So, so it's a you know, lot. where we are today <laughs> yeah, is not where we were in 2016. And, and I'll be frank with you, and I'll be completely honest. Our intent was not to be where we are. We have just, you know, kind of gone with the flow here. And as, you know, regulation has kind of created opportunities in the marketplace, we have just, I think, made um, good investments to try and um, um, better position ourselves in that market. And so the first thing we decided to do was uh, was to get into cultivation. And in my previous investment life, one of the one of the investments I made, uh, one of those 23 uh, funds, was to buy two large pecan farms just south of Macon, Georgia. And so I have some wow. experience, and, and I'm not a farmer, I don't wear overalls, and I'm not out there, but what I did was I analyzed the market and felt it was a very good time to buy what we thought at the time was uh, healthy protein. But what it really gave me experience in, it was it was a good timing. We didn't put any debt on it, so we just bought it for cash. And it was a mature agriculture industry, meaning this has been going on for many, many, many years, and there's supply chains, and it's already set up. And so it just comes down to making sure that your cost of goods sold. You've, you've, you've done everything you could to make sure your irrigation is right so that you can take those costs down and you, you, you maximize your chance to uh, make a profit. And we're talking about somewhere between five and 8% return on your money. We're not talking about a lot of money. So then we moved to cultivation. And when you start, when I was looking at the numbers in 2016, I'm like, wow, right off the bat, the numbers are, those margins are staggering. But I said, let's raise enough money. Let's make this a, a very, very good agriculture company with good with a good farm so we went to a dutch i mean it wasn't me that built these greenhouses and the technology it was it was smart dutch farmers who'd been there for generations in the santa barbara county area and so we spent the money so that we could we could basically grow anything and and so when the margins normalize in cannabis and i thought by 2019 they would we would have a a very good shot to continue to provide good quality product and and make a uh, a yield on our investment and as it's turned out um we are one of the largest growers now in the state of california and the supply chain is the hardest thing to get for if you're just a standalone brand um of think gummies think vape think um just branded flour you're re- you know getting getting some legal consistent quality supply is extremely difficult in 2019 in California. And in fact, we've raised our prices three times and we have a line out the door of people that are quite frankly mad at us because we try and spread it around a bit. So we don't, you know, we we sort of piss everybody off, 
by not just saying, okay, we'll only sell to you, you two guys or just ourselves. So, so we started with the cultivation and at the same time we bought a retail called Bud and Bloom in Santa Ana. And at the time there were about 16 licenses, 16 stores open. Yeah. We were the only, we're the, we were the only, and I think we're still the only in Orange County that doesn't have a security guard with a gun. We, at, at, wow. at, None of the three dispensaries that we have open do we have an armed individual. They may have a taser, but they don't have a lethal weapon on them. Wow. So I looked at things a little bit differently where I said, let's go to where things are going. And we worked closely with the police department at, in Santa Ana to mm-hmm. license, you know, to make sure we were properly licensed and everything. But we've been looking at the customer experience from good quality grown marijuana. We use recycled water. We recycle all of our water. We use the sun. So we have a very, very green footprint up there in, in you know, in uh, Carpinteria. And, and then at the stores, we care about the customer experience. We really want to make sure that when you come in, and there's a lot of first-time people coming into the stores, that it's no different than going into a high-end retail so that they feel comfortable and that they can ask the questions. If you're first confronted by somebody with a weapon, right away, even subconsciously, I, I was worried that it was gonna th- it was gonna make a person uncomfortable that they were doing something wrong because we have to all get past and you may be as old as I am <laughs> the Nancy right. Reagan just say no because that's still embedded in our heads. Yeah, I watched different it, strokes it, too. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> so no, I'll I'll tell you, same... but I'll say this too is that you know it's also an interesting point of view because of your background that you chose to try to make it where. There wasn't any serious weapons being held by anybody that handled security for those stores to push to, to promote your products and to, to sell your products. That's very interesting to do that because of the fact that I think that everybody feels there's just, I guess there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of tension when it comes to feeling that with, uh, well, first of all, a lot of dispensary owners, I know they're worried about the issues of possibly getting cracked down you know, because of licensing issues, they could get cracked down or they could be there. There's a lot of theft that's going on as well that I know in several different markets. And when the police have to come and intervene, are they going to help support the dispensary owner or they really just going to have them left alone to do a write-off of the product they lost? And those kind of issues have to be taken into account. You know, what's interesting is that's a, I mean, that's a valid point. Those points you made are, are, are totally valid. I believe most police officers, and I still count many as my friends, yeah. they're agnostic. They, they enforce the law. If the law. Even if they disagree with it, they enforce it. And I've yeah. never seen someone say, I am not going to go and handle a call because, you know, that person, you know, Chick-fil-A, that person is so, you know, I, I disagree <laughs> with that political view. Therefore, I'm not going to go and handle a call there. They just do their job professionally. Exactly. The, the biggest thing I had was... And, and we had, believe me, these were some of the deepest discussions I had with my partners. And anybody who had cannabis back, you know, background from the days when it was much less clear, less black and white, were nervous about having to fend for yourself. And I, and I said, no, look, we're in the legal market, but let's play this out. And, and by the way, I do the safety training at our, you know, at our businesses. Right. And I walk in and I say, let's talk about from active shooter, which is a sad thing that we have to deal with as a yeah. society. But more importantly, everybody's fear of an armed robbery, people coming in with a gun. And I said, I'm just going to handle, I'm just going to offer this scenario. And, and it would some I'd welcome to hear 
other large dispensary owners to justify why they would have this. And the question came in is when you have a guard armed or not armed, um, a lot of times there's other businesses and if they have an issue, they're going to come over to you because they're right there. And so our, our guard sometimes walks down and helps other businesses. And then if let's say the person he or she comes back and there's two people with their guns out and they're holding up the store and then they look back and they see we have an armed security guard. And then I always say, okay, and by the way, there's 10 customers and four employees in the store. Go. What happens then? And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we, the only reason we have an armed security guard is, is, a, de- is a deterrence. And I, and I said, okay, but it didn't work this time. Right. Now go. And by the way, my wife is in the middle of that store. <laughs> and I said, wow. I said, remember, we're fully insured for product and money. So I said, if, if that bad day happens, and, yeah. and that's a reality in all businesses, liquor stores, banks, yeah. the whole thing is we're here to preserve life. And, and quite frankly, we train to say, look, just put your hands up, move slowly, get, you know, do what they say, and let's end the situation as quickly as we can so that the person they leave, I mean, quite frankly, I would hope the police don't pull up right then. And, yeah. and then everybody's safe, and then from then on we'll do you know, we'll do some mental health debriefing, but most likely we'll have the store open in a few hours. We'll have counter our loss. We'll be cooperating with the police and life goes on. The scenario that I painted with an armed security guard and two armed intruders that could end up to be a very tragic situation that becomes a pall over, you know, ruins people's lives. And then becomes a pall over our business all because we made a bad decision from the get-go. And so that's the reasoning. And I don't understand, quite frankly, and I don't we need to sound righteous, but I don't understand any other point of view there. No, it's a matter of being calm, cool, and collected in those situations. And also, just to make a point of that before we go to break, is that I'm, I'm, I do truly support police officers. And Blue, I really do believe in all... I mean, listen, there's so much political jive that's out there that does go negatively towards the police which i don't agree with and i don't accept i just don't i don't accept it as as reality or fact i just believe that there is no color when it comes to blue black uh, the, the the boys in blue that's exactly what they are it's to, as again to preserve and protect and i think any other agendas unless it's not part of, unless it's part of the law now there that can't say for all scenarios but i think for the most part those that are trying to serve and protect for us they are doing the best interest and you know what if cannabis was no longer uh, put in such a bad light and the laws supported and there were no longer any issues behind it, I don't think the cops would never make an issue again about when they have to pull somebody over or when they have to respond to certain calls that it shouldn't matter. And that's what's the point. I'm here with Kyle Kazan, the CEO of Glasshouse Group here on Blunt Business. We've got to go to a break. We're a little bit running over, but we'll come back with more questions about California when it comes to social equity and the crackdown from some new laws that are going to be brought into the state that are being talked about from the DOJ. We'll talk about that after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. Oh, you got me again. All right. You got me again. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. Ah! Hey, we did it. We did it. Welcome. I have the coolest guest today. You guys already know. 
the one and only Tommy Chong. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. Business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Hi, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I have Hernanda Umana joining me. We're just both so fascinated with how much we've learned since we've been in this pet industry and creating an all-natural product. Because it's a dog's life. I am a huge fan of my guest today, Dr. Bob Goldstein. I have, in my experience, not seen many natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm here with Kyle Kazanda, CEO of Glass House Group here on Blunt Business. The Sacramento Bee, Kyle, I want to just make a mention of, they reported California's new Bible for medical marijuana laws where the industry is anticipating a crackdown. So the new summary of California's marijuana laws from the Department of Justice has the cannabis industry anticipating more enforcement actions targeting black market operators. And I know some people might say, well, black market, you know, this, what about, what, shouldn't we call it illicit or, or, or a legal market? But it, if you see it across the news, it's still called black market. I, that's where I kind of go with. Now, you said this about the story, quote, it tells me the state is getting serious about cracking down on the black market. Now, what specifically does it state about the black market crackdown? And do you think this will be the end all be all? Um, so what I would say is, I believe it's going to be a process and it's going to be a long process and it's going to be uneven throughout the state. I think, I think that Northern California is ahead of, um, you know, licensed versus unlicensed businesses. They have far fewer light unlicensed than, than we do down here in Southern California. Um, in the industry, that's how we just look at it. We're probably six to eight quarters in Los Angeles behind say Oakland and San Francisco. Um, but I think it's clear that, um, there were there were some calculations that were made by the politicians that um, people would immediately go to the legal stores just like iTunes over Napster um, and would pay any amount of tax. And I think that was a, an assumption that has proven to be incorrect. Um, and also, I don't think they anticipated, you know, the long entrenched illegal market not wanting to become legal or not being able to come legal. And so because of, because of those calculations, I think they're trying to figure out how to go about that. And the difficulty is how do you start arresting people when you're trying to expunge records? So they're, they're finding themselves with some conundrums 
that I think they are getting serious about figuring out because they're not getting the tax revenue that they thought. And a lot of this just comes down to to the dollars and cents to to the different decisions made by the by the various governments. Now, you also said the next step is for the Bureau of Cannabis Control to begin collaborating with local law enforcement entities, quote, to find a way to partner with the locals and also provide them mm-hmm. guidance in how to shut down the illegal market. You said it's time to focus in and make some examples and get some big busts. So now when it comes to that, the community could the cannabis industry itself in California could do the same by helping to self-police. Is that something you would probably encourage? Or is there, are there some things you could give to those owners and licensees what they should be doing to help the Bureau and uh, help law enforcement? You know, I, so so there's, there's a lot that you just that you just covered there. Um, you know, and, I, and I've taken some hits on social media for some of those comments. And I've defended my comments by saying I was an advocate for a legal regulated market. Right. I was not an advocate to continue the status quo because that clearly wasn't working. And I wanted people stop being put in jail. I wanted people stop being criminalized for, um, for selling this plant. But I welcomed and want, just like if I'm going to go buy, uh, I'm going to take my family out to get some food, I want some regulation so that my, you know, that there's some recourse and that there's some safety in knowing that I'm getting, you know, food that's tested that I'm not going to get salmonella. Right. So um, now when it comes to, to self-policing, I would say this, you know, we've reached out to people that are not legal. For instance, we said, hey, we're setting up delivery at the pottery, which is one of our stores in um, the city of Los Angeles. Right. And we said, and, and we, we said, look, why don't we talk to some, to some folks that are running illegal, that are running good businesses, but they don't know how to, to, to come in. So we called that kind of a self-policing and education. And we just did a joint venture with this person. Very, very smart. And quite frankly, he was tired of looking over his shoulder because he knew, yeah. I mean, from him, he said, this is just a matter of time before history catches up to me. When I say history, you can go, uh, you know, I was a history major at USC. You go all the way back to pre-Romans. I mean, there's, there's business, there's tax, and there's government. And so if you're in business, your partner is the government, their share of the profit is the tax, and they have weapons in jail. And that goes all the way back and I don't know any business, and you can, and if you want just a simple example, look at 1933 when prohibition of alcohol ended here in the United States. It was a little bumpy, like it is throughout this country. And mind you, we're not even at 1933 here. Um, and, um, and, and then you're going to find that over time, people start, I mean, I, I can't tell you where I can go find some moonshine in California. At some point, it will become a legal regulated market and fully legal fully regulated and i think the black uh, the the black market illegal market illicit market however you want to say i think that um that will largely go away it's going to take it's going to take some time because it's been so entrenched um prohibition of alcohol was only 13 years this is a lot longer this is decades by the way, uh, fight on for those USC Trojan fans. How do you think they're going to do this year, by the <laughs> way, in the football season? Cautiously optimistic, and that's probably a, you know, and I'm probably alone in being that optimistic amongst the Trojans. Well, yeah, Coach has been in there for a couple of years. He's going to have some seniors on the team. It's time to go ahead and step up on the Pac-12. But 
We could talk football another time. We're going to be back more with uh, questions with Kyle Kazan, talking about social equity, and uh, we'll also talk about the brand unification of Glasshouse Group. We have that and more coming up after the break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. It's time to Hemp Resent. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots and close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back again with Kyle Kazan, CEO of Glasshouse Group here on Blunt Business. Now, California regulators from a story from Marijuana Business Daily, they're talking about how regulators are reopening funding for cannabis social equity programs. So the application period for cities and counties to apply for a portion of $10 million in state funds. And so the point is, is that this is to enact social equity programs for new adopters of the legal cannabis space to repair some of the harms due to minorities by the war on drugs. So give me a thought about what's going on here with this and what's going to be asked of the community in terms of helping with social equity. I know that one of the things that's being done with a number of bills when the ballots were put out for medical marijuana or for adult use marijuana in certain states, I know Massachusetts and I believe Illinois, is to allow uh, felons that were previously convicted and have been released and they have served their time, they have a chance to basically get a chance to entrench themselves and get into the cannabis industry as a way of getting a second chance on life. So that's being done right now in terms of social equity. Are there other things that California should be doing in, or in terms of what this money is being used for and what areas, how it should be utilized? 
Well, you, you, you always are good at covering a lot of topics in a very short, <laughs> you, short period of time you. there. Um, you know, I will tell you just my own personal history um, from the operating company of managing properties. We've hired felons. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't throw people away just because they've gotten dinged up a bit. Yeah. You know, people have a way to redeem themselves. People make mistakes. I've made many mistakes. And so, you know, we as, as citizens in the society um, need to need to find a way to include these folks or else they're, they're going to be doomed to continue to be felons. Um, and that's, that's just kind of as a, that's a huge broad brush. Now let's talk about um, social equity and marijuana felonies. Right. You know, uh, you know, when you mentioned the police shows, the one I pointed to was the wire oh, and you see yeah. what just a, mm-hmm. a terrible game that they basically just kind of exposed. And I thought it was very realistic, even though I never Absolutely. worked in Baltimore. Um, but it showed this is just a game, and these are people on all sides of the game. And so now that we've we basically said, and I think most of us are looking at this going, the war on drugs, at least at least the war on marijuana, most people are saying, yeah, that was a mistake. And so yeah. how, if we're going to legalize this, how do we make sure it's not the same old people that do well in most businesses? How do we go back to the black and brown people, mainly the war on the poor, that the, that the um, marijuana war was on how do you how do you empower those folks to be able to participate and i will tell you george the devil is in the detail of you know what what may be done in detroit it, it could be completely different and almost surely will be than what's done in the city of los angeles which you've done in the city of oakland i applaud a hundred percent from my heart that this is the right thing to do then it comes down to now let's put those now let's put those folks that you're just about to make a new entrepreneur you've got to think through what policy you have and for instance in the city of Los Angeles there you know I'm I'm applauding Mike Fuhrer the city attorney who is just feels like he and the city councilor are getting serious about uh, addressing the illegal stores at the same time, they're about to, I think September 1st is when they're going to put in the first, they're, they're calling for the first applications for social equity. If, you know, I don't think any legal stores are making money in the city of LA. They're just barely bobbing, you know, at the surface of profitability. It's really hard because of the illegal stores. Now you put some folks in there that, you know, who knows how well capitalized they are. I'm working with uh, one, one person who's going to submit a social equity license, and I'm going to help bring um, capital, and I'm also going to help bring some business expertise to the table so that this person has as great a chance to succeed as possible. Um, and I know this person, so and, and they know me, so we have kind of a cadence, so I, I kind of, we understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. When it comes down to, you know, 100 licenses like that, I think it's going to be, um, I, I, again, I applaud it, and I'm hopeful that things work out, but the city has to think about the big picture here and, you know, clear the way and, and, and make it as um, a positive a situation as possible for those folks. And I'll just mention this, too. Now, this is besides those that might have committed felonies or that might have been arrested. For those that have not, just to talk about in terms of social equity, we I got to work on the programming and the agenda for the events that are USCC. Expo, the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo in Miami uh, earlier this month as we're recording. And I'll tell you, for every cultivation session or every business-related investment session, it was diverse. Black, women, Hispanic, across the board. 
And so it's not just the fact that there needs to be some kind of equity. It's the fact that the interest is coming from those communities. They know they can be a part of this. They want to be a part of this. So with that interest, I would want those that are much more inspired and much more enthusiastic than any other business person out there. That's just my opinion. I, I, it's, you, you can't argue with that. I agree. I agree 100%. So one other thing I want to ask you about, it wasn't that long ago, and this is what really brought things up to the forefront about bringing you on the show, was the fact that the company would announce that it would operate under the name Glasshouse Group from its previous name, California Cannabis Enterprises. So obviously, a name that definitely talks about you're going to go much farther than California with what you're doing. So over the next 18 months, let me read the list of the, the laundry list of things you plan to do. So you're looking to streamline customer relations client services, employee trainings, community relations, and best practices, drive clarity and cohesion across product lines, and identify and maximize synergies across custom, uh, across, across companies, excuse me. What was so important about this unification and how you wanted it to be more than just a brand unification? You know, that's a great question. And what I would tell you is we're doing a lot of that already. It's what happened was over the course of from 2016 till recently, I, I've raised uh, and deployed about $50 million um, into a bunch of different um, cannabis businesses from the retail to the manufacturing to the grow and to brands. And so what's, what's happening is most brands that are selling today, if, 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 you know, you and I just started a brand and said, Hey, we want to go out and we want to buy some marijuana. We're going to put it in some jars and we're going to go ahead and get it out in 200 of the say 650 stores in California. Mm-hmm. We are going to have trouble finding that supply chain and the cost of the marijuana um, is going to be more expensive than what we sell at wholesale. So we are going to be losing money just to stay on shelves waiting for things to normalize, which may be 12 to 24 months. And so when I looked across and I said, wow, I've got these, real, these, these cultivations where we have no debt, we have high technology. And, and by the way, we pay all of our employees out there $15 an hour plus benefits. Um, right. And we still have very low costs. Um, so, and then if we just want to sell that all the way to our retail, we have margin, we are making money. And so what's happened is those brands that are struggling, um, but are good, solid brands and are fighting to stay on, on shelves, they're going out there to try and raise money. It's difficult. Then when they do raise the money, they're going to pay the cultivation like me and then someone to put them in jars like me. And at the end of the day, we're just sitting down with some of those brands saying, why don't you just come inside our, our company? We'll, we'll provide some marketing budget for you. And we've got the full supply of, of cannabis, and you can join the Glasshouse Group. Our, our legal name is, is CCE. That's the, uh, that, that's the legal name. But everybody knows our Glasshouse Farms. Everybody knows our Glasshouse products that are out there. I think we're in about 250 stores right now. So now let's go um, ahead and, and, let me so, go ahead and direct the audience real quick because we're running out of time. Let's go ahead and direct sure. people to the website so they can go ahead and learn more about Glasshouse Group and – what you call the seed to serve complete cannabis ecosystem. So take a minute while we had the minute we have left to talk to our listeners about Glasshouse Group and where they can learn more about this. Well, thank you very much. That, that's sure. great. Um, we're, we certainly welcome um, everybody's feedback. If you, they go to cannabisenterprises.com, 
that is our website and it'll direct you to some of our, to our retail locations and you'll see our brands and you'll see that we basically make this, we grow this beautifully sun grown product, as I said earlier, with, um, um, uh, uh, green in mind, meaning we're, we're very good on to the environment and, and our team is, is well taken care of. Um, and quite frankly, you know, I'm a user of cannabis. It's very good quality for the, and it's a very good value. Um, so please go to our website, come out to our stores, um, you know, mention you heard us here and we'll offer you a 10% discount. All right. Fantastic. Kyle Kazan with the Glasshouse Group. Thank you so much for being here with us on the show. You gave some great insight. Uh, thank you for serving with us in law enforcement and also bringing your expertise in investment in business and law enforcement and in education. You bring so much to the table, and I know you're bringing on some great people, your team. I saw you have a few people for your sets of your board of directors uh, that are focused on financial, private investment, healthcare, pharmaceutical, and the cannabis sector. So you got a great team, and you got a great service out there. Thanks so much for that, and we'll, we'll make sure to keep in touch with you here on Blood Business. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, thank you. And, and I guess our listeners, we do thank you for listening to our another edition of Blunt Business. As always, Thanks for joining us. You can download past episodes of the show by going to CannabisRadio.com where the show is hosted. You can also remember to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode because we put out so many at a time each and every week. Look for the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.